This is recording number 10983 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 22, 2012. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Where is God When Bad Things Happen? talk to you today about where's God when bad things happen. How many of you ever here had a bad thing happen to you? Yeah. Two. Two? <laughs> yeah. And there are times when we're going through stuff like that where we wonder what, what happened to God. Where is God? Sometimes people phrase the question, how can a loving God uh, allow good people to go through bad things. I reject that question right out of hand because there are no good people. The Bible says we, not, none of us measure up. So, but I do know what it's like to feel, uh, kind of wonder where God went to when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I'm really grateful this morning that my wife is here uh, after Thank you. Uh, and her recovery has been really great. She's uh, but, you know, still just a little bit, a uh, little bit weak. And she's, I mean, they pretty much cut her in half, you know, so it's, it's not, not easy to come back from that. But she's here and uh, doing, doing really well. But for those of you who may not know this, I'm just going to give you this real quickly. Um, Three and a half years ago, she had a football-sized cancerous tumor removed uh, on an emergency basis. We didn't have any idea that this thing was growing in her body. It, is a, it was a ferocious form of cancer that's very rare, and uh, the prognosis was very, very bleak because people don't survive it. The survival rate is uh, in the single digits, and um, it's a matter of months, really, before people... Uh, succumb to this kind of cancer. Well, it's been three and a half years, and every, every three months they have been um, scanning her. She's almost, I'm sure, uh, totally radioactive at this point. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, when I kiss her, it's kind of a <laughs> little extra shock there. So. <laughs> anyway... Um, so she, so uh, a couple of months ago, we were in the doctor's office for the results of the latest scan, and this time they had found something, and you know, clear all the way through all these years, and then they they found something. Turns out it was a about, I mean, I'm this is totally imprecise, but when the doctor was drawing it for me, I mean, I looked at the scans and stuff, but you can't really tell. I don't think you don't give very much perspective. When the doctor surgeon was drawing for me, it looked about the size of a kiwi that he had, uh, where this cancer had returned. We weren't sure what it was till they, we got the pathology report. It was again adrenal cortico cancer, and uh, that's not good news. And I got to tell you, when I heard that news, you want to say, God, really?
Uh, did you take a break somewhere? Uh, have you gone on vacation? Anybody ever had that experience? Now, I got to tell you something else that, you know, that lasted for a few minutes. And then I was just overwhelmed with the sense of God's great power. He is, there is nothing, the Bible says, nothing too hard for him. Nothing. And the Bible doesn't say nothing except for adrenal cortical cancer. Okay. Carcinoma, whatever it is. Nothing. And so Sue and I have been uh, at great peace and confidence in the Lord. But look, we are real people. And we all, from time to time, as we make our way through this broken and fallen world, encounter stuff that is not pleasant, is not what we want to have happen. And we need to know where God is when bad things happen. We need to know that. And the Bible tells us. And so that's what I want to explore with you today. And uh, I've asked you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read there in just a few minutes. But I want to set the stage by just making some remarks that are based on a number of passages of Scripture that I'm not going to, going to uh, if you'll pardon me, I'm not going to just um, take you to all of these, um, rep, uh, all these uh, references I'm not even going to give them to you. I'm going to ask you to trust me that these things are in the Bible and they will be familiar to you anyway. So you're not, it, I, I'm not afraid of, of uh, coming across as though I'm some sort of a, you know, heretic here. But when we ask the question, where is God when bad things happen? There's actually three, embedded in that, there are three other questions that I want to try to deal with this morning. The first is, how could a loving God allow bad things? And you know what? The Bible teaches us that God is loving. How many of you could attest to that? You've experienced the love of God in your life. Not only has the Bible said over and over and over again that God is loving, not only has the Bible shown us over and over and over again a picture of a loving God, but all of you who raised your hands a minute ago said, I've experienced that loving God. I can attest with personal testimony to the fact that there is a loving God. Well, the Bible says that God is loving, but the Bible also says He does allow bad things. God is both loving and allows bad things. I got to tell you that there is no way for God to be loving if He doesn't allow for bad things. Think about this. Would it be a loving God who dictated that you had to have a relationship with him? <laughs> when Sue stood with me before a preacher in the front of a church and she pledged her love to me, that was so, so, and even to this day, almost 38 years later, so deeply, deeply moving. The kind of relationship that we have is so vastly different than if she had stood there that day with no choice. And said, oh, I guess. <laughs> Do you? I, I guess. 
that would be a completely different relationship, wouldn't it? If there was no choice, and you, can you imagine how hard and difficult this was for the sovereign God to set up a situation where we could choose to not love him and all of the hell that that would uh, release and unleash upon us and this planet if we chose not to love him. But because God is loving, he had to allow for us to have a choice in the matter. But dear ones, allowing and causing are not the same. They're not the same. When my kids all reach driving age, 16, now something has changed in recent years and it doesn't seem as though kids are as anxious to get behind the wheel anymore and I suppose that's a good thing. But my kids, the day they turned 16, they expected keys to be placed in their hands. <laughs> now, you know, when we came to that day, there had been a lot of me sitting in the passenger seat gritting my teeth while they were learning how to drive. We had done everything we could to prepare them, provide them with a safe vehicle, training on how to drive. They had to go through the state's licensing process. The, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but you know what? Um, I had to finally say, okay, Here's the keys. <laughs> and had to let them go. Now, my kids have all been in accidents. <laughs> I did not cause their accidents. But I had, I allowed them to be in an environment where accidents could happen because that's the only way they could uh, develop the skills that would keep them safe on the road going on. God does not cause the bad things to happen that we experience in life. But he does allow them for reasons that we've already talked about. But really the bottom line with all of this is that we got what we wanted. We got what we wanted. God said in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, he said, don't, don't, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because he wanted us to know only good. He said, don't. We are the ones who said, no, that's, I'm sorry, that's fine for you, but we want good and evil. Well, dear ones, that's what we got. We've got what we asked for. And God is both merciful and just. A lot of us want for God to become only merciful. We choose, okay, we don't want just good. We want good and evil and having made that choice, we go, oh, well, we're not so sure anymore and we want God to step in and be only merciful and hold back the consequences of our choice. But God is also just. And he has to allow 
the consequences of our decisions to reach us in some measured form. Otherwise, it wasn't a choice to begin with. Do you understand? There was no real choice in it. If God is not just as well as merciful. So in those times when you feel, you know, discouraged or conflicted about what's going on in your life, let's don't blame God for his justice, but let's be grateful for his mercy because, dear ones, he is merciful. I do not, you do not receive the full impact of what we unleashed upon ourselves through our sin. We do not because we have a merciful God. Now look at with me at uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Is there anything, Paul is asking, is there anything that can wedge itself between you and the love of God? What's the answer to that? No. As it is written, we, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's quoting from Psalm 44, verse 22. And in that passage, in that psalm, the writers are saying, you know, Lord, even though we pursue you, even though we love you, there is an attack upon us. But Paul says, in verse 37, yet in all these things, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, peril, or sword, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I said there are three questions embedded in the first one. We talked about where is God when bad things happen. The first is how could a loving God allow bad things? The second is if he does allow bad things, can I feel safe? Now turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. This is easy to, to read over and not allow the impact of it to, to touch us. But dear ones, pause for a minute and think about this. You and I have our flesh and blood. And it says that inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. The, the greatness which is unimaginable, the unimaginable uh, greatness of our God was poured into finite flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. All insecurity is rooted in the fear of death. Now, I don't mean that you know, you're afraid uh, to breathe your last. I mean... It, 
Look, it's sensible, it's reasonable, it's godly to do everything you can to preserve life, to preserve your life and the life of others. That's godly. And so there is a, a right uh, sense of, you know, uh, not wanting to die. Take care of your body. Do the things that you have to do to not be in positions where your physical well-being is in jeopardy. That's, that's, that's right. But when it says here the fear of death, it's talking about... Because you all know there's more than one way to die, right? You know people, if, it, if, if not yourself, who have felt dead emotionally... We all know that until we come to faith in Christ Jesus, we are dead spiritually. There's more than one way to die. And so when it says here that all, or when it says in the scripture that Jesus came to deal with this thing called the fear of death, that all our lifetimes have held us in bondage, he's talking about a fear of life not being as you imagined, not continuing as you imagined. And that fear is the thing that causes people to feel insecure. So when I said to you earlier that God does allow bad things, there is something in a lot of us that rises up and say, Oh no. You mean that there's a potential, there's a possibility that life wouldn't continue in the way I've imagined it? Can I then be safe? Can I ever feel safe with God? But this passage tells us Jesus dealt with it. He, part of what he was doing on the cross was forever settling this issue. He triumphed over death in all of its forms so that we could know absolute security. Dear ones, we, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. If Jesus has triumphed over death in all of its forms, what can hell use against me? And dear ones, that is freedom. That is freedom. I don't have to fear anything. Because my Savior has stared down everything that hell could ever cough up and beat it. And, and this is not a cop-out. This is not like saying, oh, well, yeah, you may have cancer, but just realize, you know, you're going to go to heaven. It's not like a way to excuse God from having to move on our behalf. This is not a cop-out. This is the absolute truth. This is the soul-securing truth. That this life is not all it is, all there is. This is not all there is. And my eternal destiny is secure. Take your best shot. Really, take your best shot. I'm bound for heaven.
So they said there's three questions embedded in the one, where is God when bad things happen? The first question was, how could a loving God allow bad things? The second is, if he does allow bad things, can I feel safe? And this is the one that I want to spend most of the time that we have left on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So back to Romans chapter 8. Notice that that the scripture uses a personal pronoun. Who? Who? And then talks about things that seem impersonal. Tribulation, excuse me, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword. Those things all sound impersonal, but they're framed with a personal pronoun because, dear ones, all that stuff is sourced in a person. Our enemy, the devil. But Paul proclaims loudly, strongly, boldly, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Not tribulation. Tribulation is pressure, demands, cares, concerns. you have any of those in your life? Have you ever felt just so, in fact, I got to um, just be honest with you. I, have, I felt that way this week. Just so under so many, my to-do list is beyond, it's, it's, it's out of control. And that feeling of, I can't, there's no way I can catch up. There's no way I can meet all of the expectations and responsibilities and obligations that I, I face. That pressure can seem crushing. Can that separate me from the love of Christ? No. No. It cannot wedge itself in between me and Jesus. He has secured me with his love. Listen to this, John 16, 33. The things I have spoken to you that in me, or these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So tribulation can't do it. How about distress? Distress means where you're, you're backed into, into a corner without options, where you feel squeezed. You know what that's like when you feel squeezed into a place where you don't know what to do? Can that separate me from the love of God? No. From the love of Christ? No. Isaiah 51 verse 10. Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? He's talking about what happened when the children of Israel were on their way out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and they came to the Red Sea. That's as far as they could go. They didn't have a boat. They didn't have a way to get across it. And coming up behind them were the chariots of Egypt. They couldn't go back. Squeezed into a place where they thought they had no options. I guarantee you, there was no one, no one, including Moses, among the people of Israel, who thought for one moment that the solution would be that God would part the sea. But he did. 
When you feel squeezed into that corner, that place where you feel like you don't have any options, and some of you feel that way right now, where you feel distressed, I don't know what God will do, but I know He will do. Because He says so. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Watch out because a sea is going to part. Something completely unexpected is going to happen because he is on your side. How about persecution? We live in a country where we are not uh, persecuted for our faith in the way that others are around this world. We've talked about that before, so I won't, I won't belabor it now. But all of us are persecuted by, by our enemy, the, ad, the, uh, the devil, for our faith. That's why he comes after you. That's why he slings all that crud at you. It's because of your faith. But let's also admit the fact that there are times when we find ourselves in situations where to acknowledge our faith in Christ is risky. You might lose your job. You might lose your friendship. Can those times of suffering for your, for the faith you have in Christ, can those times separate you from the love of Christ? The answer is no. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12 say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So persecution can't separate me from the love of Christ. How about famine? Famine. I look around this morning and I'm pretty certain nobody here has gone without food recently. In fact, I, you know, it's likely because we live in a land of so much plenty. And I don't, I don't mean to say that there aren't people in the United States of America that are hungry today. There's a lot of people that, that are. And I don't mean to make light of that. But I can tell you, I've honestly, I've never been truly hungry in my whole life. And I would dare to say most of us here, uh, that would be true of. But... When Paul uses this term famine, can famine separate me from the love of Christ? It's a bigger term than that. He's talking about any material insufficiency. Some of you are worried right now about somebody you owe money to that you can't pay. Can that separate you from the love of Christ? Philippians 4.19, it's very familiar to us, but it's in the Bible. Don't you forget it. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So famine can't do it. How about nakedness? Can nakedness separate me from the love of Christ? And again, I look around this morning and pretty confident Y'all had clothes to put on today. But this is talking about exposure. 
This is talking about exposure. Some of you are afraid of people knowing the real you. You got stuff in your past, maybe stuff in your present, that you don't want known. And look, the devil will take that and he will use that to try to wedge that fear in between you and the love of Christ. Don't let it. Don't let him do that. Because, dear one, Romans 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody told me once that, you know, um, the process of, of sanctification, this is an overly simplified way of describing it. How many of you have ever heard that word, sanctification? All right, everybody say it. Sanctification. Sanctification. It's one of those stained glass words we only use in church and most of us don't have any idea what it means. <laughs> It's the process. Because when I come to Christ in faith and I invite him to be the Lord of my life and I receive the salvation that he offers to me, that moment I am bound for heaven. In that moment my sins have been covered. But there is a process of sanctification that the Holy Spirit begins to do also at that moment that is making me more like Jesus from that day forward. And the process of sanctification this is an over, overly simplified way of thinking about it. But a guy told me this once and it really stuck and it's helped to me. So here you go. The day I came to know Jesus the day I be, was the day I began to realize that a lot of things that I do in life were, were not pleasing God. You know? And, and what would happen is I would find myself looking back on something that I had done or said that I knew wasn't pleasing to God and I would go, oh shoot. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Now of course I've already been forgiven but it's right for me to say, Lord, forgive me because I, I don't want to live that way. Help me not to live that way. And the gap between when I realize I have, I have done something that's displeasing to the Lord and uh, the actual act of doing it begins to close. That's the process of sanctification. I realize that I'm out of step with God's uh, will and plan for my life sooner than later. But the worst thing for me is when it's right, right there at that, that cross section and I'm sinning and I'm aware I'm a sinning at the same time. I hate that. It's like, oh, dang. But as sanctification continues, I start to recognize that I'm getting close to doing something I shouldn't do or say something I should have said or shouldn't say before I actually do it. And I start making decisions not to. That to me is sanctification. I'm just grateful that God understands all about that. 
And Jesus died on the cross for me while I still didn't care about him at all. How about peril, danger, jeopardy, tragedy? Psalm 4 verse 8 says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. How about war? Paul ends his, his list of things here that he's, wonder, uh, he's asking us, can they separate us from the love of Christ with war or sword, which means war or social and ge geopolitical um, forces or things that are at work around us terrorism for instance these things can that stuff separate us from the love of Christ and the answer is no Psalm 20 verses 7 and through 8 says say some trust in chariots and some in horses can I say if you put your trust in the military might of our country or law enforcement as great as they are it's not going to be enough you will not feel secure some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. You know, I said to you, the Bible tells us where God is when bad things happen. And as we've made our way through these passages and talked about them today, it might not have been obvious right off the bat, but let me just tie it up for you right now. Where is God when bad things happen? He's on his throne. He's on his throne. He has not moved from there. There's never one moment where he's like, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. How am I going to help them? How am I going to... Never. He's on his throne. And this verse, this, this passage, verse 37 says... Yet in all these things, we, because that's true, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Dear ones, say this with me. We are more than conquerors.